Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. As some of you know, about a decade ago, um, I spent some time on the internet debating people. <laughs> Actually, I was, I was uh, uh, really good at it. And it was uh, hanging out in different places, fellowshipping with the word, really, where I met my wife. I met her online. I didn't meet her on a dating site. I met her discussing scriptures online. And uh, God worked the rest out. But uh, I used to debate, and I was in a conversation. When I first saw that clip about the time period, I was in a conversation with a man who was telling me, I don't need to read the Bible because I have Jesus in my heart, and Jesus is the Word, and He'll teach me everything I need. <laughs> Does something just kind of go tilt in your heart when you hear that thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, why do we have to choose between the written Word and the Spirit of God and Jesus in your heart? We don't. Not when, when God's given us both. These Christians in the underground church in, in China, I promise you, their commitment to Christ is way more than ours is. To even have those Bibles or even to meet together, cost them dearly. You want to talk about some spirit-led, spirit-filled people. It's got to be those believers in the underground church in China. Amen? But look at the love that they have for the Word of God. Look at If that spirit that's in you doesn't create a love in you to know this book, you maybe ought to check and see what spirit you have in you. Because the spirit and the Word agree. Amen? They work together. Then I just met there because, okay. It seems like it's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago with our cookout and our guest, guest preacher the other week. It's been a while. But the last time I preached here, I preached on the Word of God, as in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. And we we're speaking of uh, the verse where it says, God spoke. If you would go in your Bibles to Hebrews 1, and let's read that together. Long ago, it says, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Say, God spoke. spoke. Aren't you glad that God spoke? Mm -hmm. Because you know, at that point in time, if God had not spoken, if He didn't speak, if He didn't come after us, we would be lost. Amen? Mm -hmm. All God had to do for us to be lost at that point was nothing. When Adam sinned, and he, he, he was driven out of the garden, and he was facing death for the whole human race, God came and He spoke a word, didn't He? He came and He said to that serpent, He said, somebody's going to come and He's going to crush your head. You'll strike at His heel, but He's going to crush your head. He began to speak. And then through the prophets of the Old Testament, He was prophesying and saying the Messiah is coming. And He's not only going to be Israel's Redeemer, but He's going to redeem the whole world. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad that God spoke? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for speaking. Thank you for your word. Thank you. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2. But in these last days, say these last days, these we're last living days. in the last days. He has spoken to us by a son. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, and through whom also, whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of His glory and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Isn't Jesus awesome? <laughs> Isn't He amazing? And God has spoken to us through Jesus in these last days. He has spoken to us in His Son. 
And so today I want to pick up, like I said, where I left off. I want to talk about God speaking. I want to talk about the relationship between the Word and the Spirit of God. I want to talk about being established in the Word and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, it's important to know what God says in the Scriptures because the Spirit of God will never contradict the Scriptures because He's not in disagreement with Himself. He could have, you understand, He could have written anything He wanted to write and He chose to write what He wrote because He's not... This is what His will is. This is who He is. This is a revelation of Himself in these Scriptures. It's important to know what He said because the Spirit and the Word, like I said, are always in agreement. Now, if you'll think back with me, about a month ago, uh, when I shared on this last, uh, we talked about the two uh, travelers on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that? And they were on the way to Emmaus. They had reports that, you know, the tomb was empty. Some of the women had been to the tomb and they... They saw angels, and they came back and they said, the angel said he's risen, but we can't find his body, and they're confused. And these people are on their way to Emmaus. It was a seven-mile walk. I'm guessing it would have taken two to two and a half hours just at an easy pace. And they're walking along, and Jesus comes up and starts walking with them, and they don't recognize him. Their eyes, it says, were hidden. He was hidden from them. They couldn't see him. And they're walking along, and he's expounding the scriptures to them. And they say, didn't our hearts burn within us as he was opening up the scriptures to us? Isn't that beautiful? So think about this. The angels, the, the women saw a vision of angels, and they still were in a state of confusion. But these people are getting the word. They're getting established in something that God said. Now they're understanding that this is what was supposed to have happened all along. That Jesus would suffer. He would be crucified, that he would rise again. And it says they went through all the scriptures showing them about himself. Can you imagine how solidly rooted they would have been after that conversation? Knowing that the scriptures had predicted this. And this is exactly what the hope of Israel was. This is exactly what they were waiting for. According to the scriptures that had been promised to them. That they would have read over and over and over. That was part of their heritage. That they, that they um, had been passed on from generation to generation. All of a sudden Jesus is here. But he doesn't let them know he's Jesus. So he can show them. I'm fulfilling all that you've been hoping for. Right now. Isn't that good? And then. What happens? He breaks the bread and they recognize him. And they're like, it's Jesus! And then he disappears and he vanishes. See, when they went back to the other people, which they ran back to Jerusalem seven miles, they ran back. What did they have? They had a testimony too. They said, we had an encounter with Jesus. We saw something supernatural. And then here, here's the foundation for it. They could communicate it. They could share it. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Jesus puts, God puts such a premium on his word. He wrote a book. God wrote a bestseller. He wrote a book. What an awesome book he's given us. Praise the Lord. About um, in the early 90s, I lived in, um, in Georgia. And uh, I don't know... I, I'm not, I don't follow a lot of sports, and so if I start saying things wrong, my apologies, but I followed everything once, okay? And in the early 90s, the Atlanta Braves went from the worst in their division one year to first the next year. And we were all going around saying, worst to first. Anybody remember that? Worst to first, yeah. I'm telling you what, baseball fever was high in Georgia. I mean, we'd stay up all night watching those doubleheaders, you know? 
they'd go into extra innings and you know they finally finished the game something like zero to one or whatever. But well, I, I, I was into it. I followed it. It was uh, I enjoyed it at the time. And uh, there was a man there, and you'll probably remember him, love him or hate him, Deion Sanders. Remember him? Yeah. You know what? I, I looked at. I remembered this, but I looked it up. I wanted to get my facts right because I know some of you guys know sports a lot better than I do. I didn't want to embarrass myself. Okay. In 1989, in the 1989 season, Deion Sanders hit a major league home run and scored a touchdown in the NFL in the same week, making him the only player to ever do that. He played both baseball and football. He was also the only man to play in both the Super Bowl and the World Series. On October 11, 1992, Sanders and the Atlanta Falcons played the Dolphins in Miami, and then in the same day he flew to Pittsburgh to be with the Atlanta Braves for their National League Championship Series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Okay? This is, you know, not, not many athletes do both, right? So this led, we were all going around saying both. Both. What do you think, Dion? Both. Do you remember that? <laughs> Anybody hear that? And there was even a commercial I came across it when I was looking for this about, um, it was a Pizza Hut commercial. And they asked Dion Sanders, they said, so you want to play baseball or, or, um, or football? He says, both. <laughs> they said, you want to play offense or defense? Both. <laughs> and they say, well, do you want stuffed crust or meat lovers? <laughs> That's a Pizza Hut commercial. <laughs> both. <laughs> Obviously, Pizza Hut was selling a... Uh, Stuffed crust, meat lovers, pizza. <laughs> but both. So when somebody asks you, what will you do? Are you going to follow the Spirit or are you going to be in the Word? What do you say? Both. both. If Deion Sanders can have both, boy, how much more can we have both? Amen? But, you know, false dichotomies are a part of life. You know, false dichotomy is when you take the choices and you boil them down to two choices. And you present it like you have to choose this. And if you don't choose this, you're choosing this, Right? But, you know, in the real world, there's oftentimes a third choice, right? But false dichotomies, they sound like this. Um, you either believe in science or you believe in creation. All right? If you believe in creation, you can't believe. That's the implication, right? But what's the third choice? I mean, there's a lot of science that seems to support creation, isn't there, when you look into it? So why couldn't you also say you either believe in evolution or you believe in science? Because evolution has a lot of gaps. You know, it's a scientific theory, right? You know, see, we make these dichotomies where it's this way or this way. There's no third option. A lot of great scientists have been creationists and still are. It's just not the political uh, political stand today um, in politics, but it's, it's true. Try this one. You can either go to college or be poor all your life. <laughs> right? I mean, is there a third choice, maybe? I don't know, like win the lottery. Nobody considered that. I could play the lottery. <laughs> Maybe I could start a business or I could go to technical school. You know, people have done well in those things, you know. There have been people who go to college and are still poor. So it's not a guarantee. It's a false dichotomy. It's presenting everything as either or. We don't want to do that. Um, this is how you do your kids. You either do what I say or you're going to be grounded until you're 37. <laughs> Is there maybe another option? Because, let's face it, you're not really going to ground them until they're 37. <laughs> it's false dichotomy. But it does help them to make the decision. I get that, right? <laughs> you either buy $7 a gallon organic milk or you don't love your kids. <laughs> I pick on her income about this when she brings home the organic milk. I'm like, what's so special about this? It comes from the same place on the cow as the Weigel's milk. <laughs> 
I get it though. I get. It. I mean, I know the, the what do you call it, the antibiotics and stuff. I get it. I know what organics about. I, I agree. But it's just kind of funny. I mean, you people just because you you uh, use organic milk doesn't mean you love your kids more than somebody who uses Mayfield milk. Okay, it's a false dichotomy, and it's really bad in politics, right? You hear it all the time in politics. If you care about the future, you'll vote for me. If you care about the environment, you'll vote for me. If you care about freedom, you'll support my campaign, right? Well, what if I care about the environment and freedom and the future, but I don't think you're the one to do it? It's a false dichotomy. But unfortunately, false dichotomies are here to stay. We're not going to get away from them. But you know, there are real things that are to be separated and understood. When Jesus said, you're either with me or against me, and he does not gather with me, scatters. That's not a false dichotomy. That's a position statement of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you gather with me, or you're scattering. You are with me, or you're against He's asking us to make a choice to choose for him or against him, because there's no middle ground. You remember when God created the heavens and the earth? He separated light from darkness. He separated day from night. He separated the ocean from the land. And he drew these lines and made these distinctions. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Do you see the, the contrast that he's making? Understand, these are not false dilemmas. You are righteous in him, or you're lawless. He didn't call us to be lawless. Righteousness is not lawlessness. Isn't that interesting? You are light, because you're in him, or you're darkness. See, you may have to choose between things of God and things of the world, or things of God and things of the devil. But you will never have to choose between something from God and something else from God. Because if God has provided it, it's yes. It's yes. That verse goes on. It says, For what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. He's asking us to make a decision to come out from things. When he presents a dichotomy, when he presents two choices, it's because he's bringing us to a point of truth that we enter into it. But so often when the world gives us an ultimatum, two choices, they're just trying to manipulate us. They're trying to take us into a political perspective or they're trying to sell us something like $7 a gallon organic milk. There is a false dichotomy in the church world, though. And you see it all the time. It expresses itself in different ways. One of the ways is when we pit the Spirit against the Word. You don't have to choose the Spirit or the Word. You get both. We pit law against grace. The truth is, it's all grace. Grace was working through the law to bring a revelation of sin so that God could bring us righteousness by faith through grace. Amen? Grace and, and law were working together. Judgment and mercy. Judgment and mercy work together. There's no need for mercy without judgment, but without judgment we wouldn't understand what sin was. 
We wouldn't understand. You know, death was in the world before the law was given, the Bible says. But people were still dying even though there was no understanding of it. The law helped them to understand what was going on. And then God worked through that to bring grace. But it was all grace. It was all mercy working together. Judgment and mercy working together. I preached a, a month or so, a couple months ago on bearing fruit. And we make a, a dichotomy between, between fruit, bearing fruit, and works. You know, in the Bible, except for your salvation, you don't get saved. You do not get saved because of your good works, your acts of righteousness. You don't. But everywhere else in the Bible, the idea of works is a good word. It's a positive idea. It says you're saved by grace unto good works. So we make it any effort to do something that's right. We say, oh, that's works, can't get under work. Well, we need to be working for the kingdom by the power of the Spirit that's been provided to us. Amen? Amen. It's not a false dichotomy. They've made it a false dichotomy, but it's not. It's grace and faith, and we're all working together to accomplish what God wants in your life, to make you like Jesus, and to usher in His coming kingdom. Amen? We're people of God. We're people of the kingdom to come. Amen. Amen. One more that um, I see a lot is we, we pit sometimes the natural against the supernatural. And if you think about it, it's not really this versus this. The supernatural in God sometimes starts out very natural. Let me give you an example. Do you remember when Elijah outran the chariot? What did it say? He picked up his cloak and he starts running. Okay? And then he ran and he ran and he ran and then he beat the chariot. Okay? You don't beat the chariot running in your own strength, do you? So it was supernatural, was it not? But if he wouldn't have picked up his cloak and started running, would he have had his miracle? It started out in the natural, and then it was empowered by the Spirit. You see that? What about Gideon when he ripped those gates off of that, that city wall? He went up there, and he put his hands on the gates, and he started pulling. And the Spirit of God in him energized him, and he pulled those gates right off, locked and everything with the posts, put them on the shoulder, and carried them up the hill. But if he wouldn't have taken these hands and put them on that gate and started pulling, those, those gates wouldn't have come off, would they? You know, you're told if you're a believer that you can take these hands and lay them on the sick and they'll recover. Amen. But if you don't start and take your hands and put them on somebody who's sick, there's somebody who might not recover. Amen. Do you remember Peter when he got out of the boat? He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. He said, come. What did Peter have to do? Something very strange in the middle of the uh, sea, but very natural. He swung his leg up over that boat, <laughs> shifted his weight, popped down on that water, and that water held him. If he wouldn't have started in the natural, if he wouldn't have started doing something, he would have never had that miracle of walking on the water. Remember the ten lepers? They said to Jesus, they, they wanted to be healed, and Jesus said to them what? Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. They probably walked that road a dozen times. Who knows? But they were just walking in obedience to him. And it opened the door to walk supernaturally. They received their healing. Isn't that good? So you start off doing what Jesus says. You expect the Spirit to empower you to accomplish what he wants. I think that's exciting. If you don't lay your hands on people, people don't get healed. You know how many of you were Pentecostal church? We speak in tongues. Who speaks? The Spirit speaks through you. But whose vocal cords are vibrating? 
yours. That's not you. You speak all the time. See, it's the natural and supernatural working together. It's not either or all the time, is it? See, I think this is helpful because a lot of times, you know, I think we're like waiting and waiting. Oh, God, move. God, do a miracle. And sometimes it's just a matter of going up there like uh, Elisha did after Elijah's mantle fell on him. He said, where's the God of Elijah? And smacked that water and expected that water just to depart. And it did. Didn't say that he was led of God to do that. He said, I asked for a double portion and here I go. Smack. He just expected it. And God met him at his point of faith. See, doing what God says is faith, is it not? Ordering your life that way is faith. The paralytic could not walk. He was laying on the mat. And Jesus said, pick up your mat. Okay? Paralyzed people can't pick up their mats and walk. Right? The woman in adultery, he says, go and sin no more. Okay? People trapped and ensnared in sin can't just go and sin no more. But the word of Jesus was empowerment to that man to have the strength supernaturally to pick up his mat and walk. The same way I believe that that word of Jesus to that woman, go and sin no more, was supernatural empowerment for her to leave her life of sin. See, what if we got serious about just doing what the word said, expecting God to be there? See, it's not about keeping rules to be right with God. It's, it's about, the Bible says I can do this? Really? Okay, bye. I'm going to go do it. <laughs> let's go do the things that, are, that the Word says that we can do. And let's experience the Spirit of God backing His Word up. Amen? Your supernatural help, your miracle that you need, comes from doing what anyone can do. Believing this Word and taking a step out on it. And He'll back you up. Jesus said, John 6, 63, My words are spirit, and they are life. My words are powerful. Go with me to Luke chapter 16. You'll remember this story. This is the story of um, the rich man at Lazarus. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 is where it starts. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. He feasted sumptuously every day. And uh, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. I don't think you get any lower than this. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades... Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime, you received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, and listen to this, that I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. See, there's something that this man realized he was there justly, wasn't he? 
He was there by his own doing. And he's saying, please send, send, send Lazarus to my brother to my father's house so that they can not make the mistakes I've made and come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, what? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What's Moses and the prophets to an Israelite? It's the Bible, right? It's the scriptures, Moses and the prophets. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the written word. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If they have a supernatural experience and they see a dead person come back to life, that'll make them believe. He said to them, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if somebody should rise from the dead. See, the reason God has given us the written word is because this is the best way to get us convinced of the word of God. This is the best way to bring us salvation. The word of God preached with the power of the Holy Spirit moves in your heart and causes the new birth to happen. You can think you saw a vision of, you know, your dead grandma or whatever came back and warned you. But even that does not convince you. They, the women saw the angels and nobody was convinced until... You know, they, they, they walked that road to Emmaus and they saw in the Word that this was supposed to happen. Amen? God, God's Word is what we are established in. But it's not just a code to live by. It's not just, you know, rule-keeping. It's a Word empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that power of the Holy Spirit in the law, in the psalm, what's he say? In Moses and the prophets was enough to cause any of them to believe and miss hell, but they chose not to. And if they chose to reject that word, they would also choose to reject even a vision of somebody coming back from the dead. That's the, pre, that's the level that God places His word. Ephesians 2.18 says this, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, which is uh, treating your body rough um, for spiritual reasons and worship of angels. So let no one disqualify you of these things, going into detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Going on about visions, things that they've seen, their supernatural experiences. You would think, you know, that, oh, that's so spiritual. They, they, they're so into, they, they're so connected to the things of the Spirit. And, and here, Paul is saying, don't be deceived, that's sensual. Isn't that interesting? I looked it up in a couple different translations. Holman says it like this. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. Claiming access to a visionary realm. That's what that guy was doing, uh, who I would, uh, was talking with uh, those years ago, wasn't he? I don't need the Bible. I can get everything I need from this visionary realm. Don't need the scriptures. Was he right? No, he wasn't right. He wasn't. But you know what? We've got to be careful about this too. Because God does speak to us. Visions are real. They're absolutely real. We were, we were talking about it Wednesday, some of the different things we were sharing when God speaks to you. I had a time where God speak, spoke to me. It was so clear. And you know what? It was scriptural. It was accurate. 
and I really didn't want to didn't want to hear it because I wanted to think a lot better about myself. It was a word of correction. It was from the Lord. I received it, and it changed my life. I did. So these things are real, but but we're not trying to get way out over here where all we do is you know what you, what you want to do is you want to allow these things to be subject to the word of God. Let them be judged by the word of God. You know. It, you want to be, and this is where humility comes in, okay? Because you're led of God. I'm led of God. I love this church because it's filled with such solid people. On Wednesday night, we had a smaller group Wednesday because so many people are on vacation right now. But uh, we, we were talking about, you know, just uh, building the Word into our lives. I love this church because you guys go after the Word. You know the Word. Sometimes I don't even know what to preach because I know you guys already know so much. You know what I'm saying? But it's not my job to tickle your ears with something new. It's my job just to proclaim these truths that we can rally around and spur one another on to good works. Amen? Because our job is, as a group is to experience God and to do what we know. Right? We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. But um, we want to be careful. Uh, we want to be humble before people. You know, I've learned that it's not good to go say to your wife, you know, well, God told me this, so this is the way it's going to be. You know, that's not always received very well, is it? The truth is, if you're in a good marriage and you have a good wife like I do you got to come to the understanding that God will also speak to her. And, you know, when you start sharing what God's saying to you, you can do it in a humble way. And I, we found out, you know, we, we used to... So our biggest disagreements over the years, especially early on, were just because, for crying out loud, everything about us is different. <laughs> she's from the other side of the world, and she's a woman, and I'm a guy. We think different, you know what I'm saying? It's like that for a lot of marriages, I know. Um... But we found out a lot of our disagreements were not real disagreements. We were usually saying the same thing. We just said it in different ways. And when we finally learned how each other talked, we, we found out that we we're almost always in agreement. It's amazing. And, um, and you know, I've, I've learned that God, God speaks to her. And there was several times in, our, in our, my life where God was leading me and I was pursuing him, you know, in, in certain, you know, thinking he's leading me and teaching me. And I, I didn't necessarily share it with her, because sometimes, you know, you're, you're praying and you're moving a direction and God's working in you. You don't know how to articulate it until, you know, he's finished that work. And uh, I find out, you know, a month or two later, he's been leading her in the exact same direction. Right? The Spirit is real, working, active in our lives. But we've got to trust. You know, even here in a church, you know, it's not, it's not my job to say, thus saith the Lord, it's going to be this way and no other. When you have a word... A wisdom, a word of prophecy. What's the Bible say? Let it be judged by the elders, right? Because why? Because you're not the only one who can hear from God. But God does speak that way. He does. And we need to be rooted in the word and empowered by the spirit. And he's never going to say anything that will be in disagreement with his word. Um, the Ephesians 2.18 in the New American Standard says this. Take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize by delighting in humility and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Taking his stand on visions he's seen. You can't talk to me. <laughs> you know, it makes you, makes you unapproachable. Well, what if you're wrong? What if that wasn't a vision from God? Are you willing to submit it to the Word? At least the word. 
right? Pray about it. Make sure that you're right. But visions and dreams are for us. I also had a, a, a vision not too long ago, too. And it was kind of like the word God spoke. He showed me a picture. I was sitting in a, in a, in a meeting, a, a Christian meeting. I saw a vision about uh, uh, something that related to my heart. And it was hard to hear, but it was right. And it brought me healing. And, and it was good. He, he will give us visions and dreams. Acts 2, the Bible says. Your young man shall dream dreams. Your, your see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. As far as supernatural experiences, Jesus was comforted by angels in the garden. You remember that? Paul was comforted by an angel when he was on that boat. Isn't that cool? The angels are, the angels are ministering spirits for, sent to minister for our, on our behalf, the Christians, the church. So they are real things. But any experience we have must be established in the Word. Amen? Remember what, what Paul said in Galatians? He says, if... Me, if me or any other, even an angel, would preach to you any other gospel than what you've heard. Let him be accursed. I'll say it again. Let him be accursed. Why? Because this is, this is what everything is based off of. This is what our supernatural experience is based off of. We run with this, and then God empowers us and does his part. Peter had a supernatural experience. You remember it in Acts 17? I'm sorry, Matthew 17, rather, starting at verse 1. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What an amazing experience to be with Jesus and see that kind of glory. And that's what Peter was writing about when he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's saying, I was there. I saw it. <laughs> Verse 17. For when he received glory and honor from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we are with him on the holy mountain. And then he goes on and he says, and we have the prophetic word. The prophetic word, he's speaking of the scriptures, more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Isn't that beautiful? We have the prophetic word, the ESV, which I'm reading from, says more fully confirmed. Listen to what a couple of the other translations say. The King James says it like this. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. See, the ESV kind of makes it sound like the experience made the word more confirmed. King James kind of makes it sound like we have this awesome experience and we also have this word, which is even more confirmed, which is how I kind of think it, it, it should read. Listen to the NIV. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. 
See, no matter how you want to say it, Peter is talking about the word of God, the prophecy about what was going to happen. And he said, it is more reliable. It can be counted on. The New International Reader's Version, a kid's version. I like reading the kid's version sometimes. We also have the message of the prophets. This message can be trusted completely. This message can be trusted completely. Wycliffe, getting into the literal translations, Wycliffe says, and we have a firmer word of prophecy, a firmer word of prophecy than even that experience on the mountain. And the Young's Literal says this, we have a more firm prophetic word. The word is firm, amen? And then he goes on in verse 20, he says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. See, we have a lot of interpretations out there, but the word means what it means. And our goal is to humbly approach the Scripture and let it judge us. We don't judge it. When we adapt a framework first, and you know, we say, I believe in this framework, and then we try to fit the Scripture through it, how is that not going to lead to error? Some errors worse than others, but it will. But if we approach the Scripture humbly and say, "What God, what is your intention in writing this? How does this fit into your plan? And, and take the Bible for what it actually says. Then we have the accurate word of prophecy, more sure. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But listen, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God spoke. Amen? Amen. God spoke. It's beautiful. So just to wrap this up, I want to get very practical here. The Bible says in James 1.22, that we're supposed to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. We're supposed to do the word. And uh, for those of you who would be interested, that word actually is logos. To do the logos. You can take this written word as it's written and go do it. Just right now, just like that. Be a doer of the word. Emmanuel Assembly is a church that is established in the word and empowered by the Spirit because the Word and the Spirit are in agreement together. They work together and they will work together in your life. We're not talking about keeping the Word to try to legally earn salvation. We're coming and believing the Word that Jesus has provided it by grace but then we're stepping out to do everything the Word says to do, be a doer of the Word. You know, you don't have to go the way of the world. You don't have to have a bad marriage. You can do the work. You can honor your spouse. You can love them. Lay down your life for them. Do what the Word says. And see if God might start working in ways that you've not imagined before. You know, you, the Bible says about your family, your children, raise up a child in the way they should go. You know, we've raised up children, I think, sometimes in maybe ways they shouldn't go. But if we would do the Word and model that and live that in front of them, watch God keep His Word and empower us to keep our families tight. The Bible says the Word is a lamp. Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. 
Didn't Peter say, what did Peter say up there? At the end of um, at the end of it, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. See, this world is a dark place. Right? The 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 kingdom is not, you know, fully arrived yet. It's 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 invading a dark place. This word is punching into a dark place. And if we'll follow this word, you know, there's a, a song that we, we used to sing, and I guess we probably still sing, but it's an older song now, but um, if I stumble in the darkness, I will call your name by night, right? God of wonders beyond the... It's a good song. And thank God if you stumble in the darkness, you can call His name by night. That's a good thing. But the truth is, if you would walk by the Word, you don't have to stumble in the darkness because His Word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. You can walk in this dark world by the light of the Word. Amen? You need to be a doer of the Word and watch God empower your life by His Spirit. Um, Hebrews 4.12, look at that. This will be our last scripture. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Discerns The Word will discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You know, sometimes I think I think a lot of counseling is just talking to people and helping them to discover what's in their heart. Help them to discover their motives. Discover why they're doing what they're doing. Amen? But if we will be doers of the word, not just hearers, but doers of the word, this will save you a lot of money with counseling. Because it will expose to you the thoughts and intents. The New Living Translation says it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You know, sometimes we've learned so much to pretend in our culture that we learn how to do what's right in front of people. Oh, I don't really want that when secretly you do. Or, or I really want that. Yeah, you know, I mean, church, church is good at it. Yeah, we want God. We want holiness. We want righteousness. But then we go and we live like everybody else. Well, if we were doers of the word, we would be exposed as frauds. We want what we say and what we do to line up with one another, right? That's what renewing the mind is. When our, what we know about the word and what we do are the same. <laughs> That's when your mind is renewed. The, uh, uh, the, the NTE, I can't remember what that is, but I know, it's, um, I know the person who translated it. And it says this, God's word is alive. You see, it's powerful and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It can pierce right between soul and spirit or joints and marrow. It can go straight to the point of what the human heart is thinking or intends to do. Become a doer of the word and uh, you'll be revealed. It will help you. It will help you line your heart up with the things of God. Amen? Amen. Be a doer of the word. It will counsel you. Be established by the word and empowered by the spirit. Now, I want to just get real practical because, you know, sometimes uh, you can talk about things like this and uh, what do I do? How do I do it? You know, when we talk about being in the Word, it's, it's not that you need to uh, read the Bible for 20 hours a day <laughs> to have any hope 
at living this life. You don't need to put the MP3 on and have it streaming constantly 24-7. You don't need the Christian TV on 24-7. That's not what I'm talking about here. You know, it would be better to read the Bible for 10 minutes and then go out and do what you read than it would be to read the Bible for 6 hours and then forget it. Right? It'd be better to be a doer of what you know. So read the Bible. Read it in its context. Seek to understand. Start with the New Testament. At the beginning of the year, we did the 21 days of prayer and feasting, we called it, because we read through the New Testament in 20, or not the New Testament, but the Gospels and Acts in 21 days. You know, grab a reading program like that and read it, pray, ask the Lord to help you apply it to your life. If you want to just start, if you've not read the Bible for a while, you want to start, start with the book of, of uh, Mark. It's the second... Um, it's the second gospel. It's a shorter one. It's fast-paced. It gives you a really great overview of the life of Jesus. Start there. Read the book of James. A lot of the letters, like the book of James was a letter. Well, that's what it was, and it's been made into our Bible. The book of James is almost like a primer for early Christians who were just coming into the church so that they could learn what Christians should do. And, and it's a great book, and it's only... A few chapters, you can read it in one setting. The book of Ephesians talks about the glorious church. Six chapters, you can read it, and you can read it in a day. You know, start start in the New Testament, start small. But don't worry if you can't get in there and, you know, I, I think sometimes we're like, oh, I'm going to do this Christian thing. I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to block out my whole day. Kids, don't talk to me, I'm reading the Bible. <laughs> That's never happened in my house. I'm praying. I'm getting ready for church. <laughs> Leave me alone. It's your bedtime. <laughs> That's our Saturday night routine. <laughs> but it's not so much that you have to become this, you know, what you think of a spiritual giant. Start reading a verse. Read enough to get the context of it and then go do that. And see if God meets you in there. Empowered by the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen.